0: boss called me up and said come in to work i just hung up on that slave driving jerk i'm going to wrestling going to wrestling well you'd think i'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. i'm going to wrestling going to wrestling r-a-s-s-l-i and that's wrestling r-a-s-s-l-i and that's wrestling
1: producer chris is flying Solo today in the B. She's studio because I am getting over COVID nineteen, and boy was that a hell of a battle! So if I sound like crap today, please don't take it personally. I can barely hold on, so I had to stay out of the studio. I'm no longer contagious, but I just don't feel 100. percent Thank you, Chris. You're going to carry a lot of the load today over there in the studio. Uh, wow, what a week it's been in the in the world of she's right?
2: Uh, it's been unbelievable, and I, I hope you get well soon. By the way, Mike, I know it's a it's a tough go of it with COVID, especially with the, all these uh, different variants coming out. So, you know, get better, get well.
1: I'm pretty sure I got three variants in one because I got <laughs> triple. I got it triple bad. You hear people say, "Oh, I barely noticed I had it." Oh man, <laughs> it was rough. Um,
2: he, he didn't just get COVID nineteen; so- he got COVID one through eighteen as well.
1: Yeah, or maybe I got COVID twenty five because of the variation, and it was it was impossible to get over. But moving on a little bit, last week we had a great show. I want to thank Steve Striker, who came on to the show with zero notice. What you heard on that show was exactly how it went down. Ring, ring, ring. He answers. He's like, "Why are you calling me on Facebook Messenger?" And then we went live into the interview, so he didn't have time to crap. Okay, so one of the things that that I heard about this past week was I heard from the promoter of Primo's wrestling. And he said, you know, I, I he was pretty nice about it, but he said, you know, I don't know if I appreciate it being called beer lodge wrestling. And I said, well, we tried to correct it. We said it was Primo's. And he said, you know, like he, he talked about what they're doing over there. And he felt that I might've been a little flippant earlier in the show, making it sound like they were the third ranked wrestling company, in Winnipeg. And he said, you know, one of the things he. I appreciated that he did that. I often criticize promoters for not doing this. He said, what could I be doing better? And I, and I had to be honest, I haven't seen his show. I've only seen pictures from his shows. Um, and, and I think he's trying, like he brought in the Bollywood boys and he brought in Nick Aldis and He's brought in some really good talent. Um, but he, he might be one thing he's hurting on. I'm going to be very critical here and I hope he doesn't take it personally. When you are a promoter, and you are a wrestler. You have to be good at both. Because if you if you aren't a very good wrestler, you look like you're promoting shows just to put yourself on the show. And if you're a good wrestler and a crappy promoter, well, why aren't you just working for another guy who can promote better? It's hard to do both jobs and, and that's what um, Mark Merrick is trying to do. And I don't know I don't know if it's working for him perfectly. I think he I think he might be a better promoter than he is a wrestler. But that's still like when you try to do both and people will point to Danny Duggan and say, well, Danny Duggan does both. And and yes, but to Danny Duggan's detriment, there's a chance that Danny Duggan was good enough that he could have made, made it with a contract with one of the bigger companies. Yeah. But because Danny Duggan, the wrestler split his, split his focus to be Danny Duggan, the wrestler seeking a contract at the same time that he was Danny Duggan, the promoter. Trying to build a business that would make him a living. Either either path is going to make him a living. He may not have focused enough on being Danny Duggan, the wrestler, to get a contract. And it probably cost him in, in one of the two avenues. So you kind of have to focus on one avenue. So in the case of Mark Merrick, I think he loves owning Primo's wrestling. So maybe he needs to focus more on promoting and not wrestling. Like he's got himself booked in a tag team match, him and Harry Smith against Robbie Royce and, and um, ATM. For, the, for his company's taking championship. Well, you're pushing yourself on top of trying to be a wrestler, on top of trying to be a good promoter. you got to focus on one. Now, he might not like that I didn't give him this advice in a private uh, exchange on Messenger, but I've decided to give it to him on our show. But that, that's just really what it is. got to focus on being good at something.
2: Yeah, not, he, not everybody can be Jerry Lawler, right? Like, not everybody can be the booker and be on top and it be, like, magical, perfect.
1: Yeah, but Jerry Lawler wouldn't have been near as good as Jerry Lawler was if it hadn't been for Jerry Jarrett and Lance Russell. Yes. And an ensemble crew in Memphis that was outstanding and a good TV outlet. Like, Jerry Lawler's an anomaly. Nobody would. in reality, nobody could compare themselves to Jerry Lawler.
2: No, you're, ab- you're absolutely right, Mike. It's just I, I know that there's a lot of talent out there that become promoters, and I think they have that idea in their head, like, oh, I'll be just like Jerry Lawler. I'll put myself over. And we've seen it time and time again, at least I have. I'm sure you have as well, where it just doesn't work out that way.
1: So the minute I became the booker at TRCW in 2001, I wanted to stop wrestling immediately. I do not want to wrestle and book because when I book, I like to produce matches. I like to stop and go over the finish and hear what the wrestlers want to put together and then have my spin on. Well, creatively, this is why you can't do that. I want to be hands on as a booker. I want to produce them. I think that one thing, and that's the other thing that Mark Merrick is doing. He's not only promoting, but he's also booking and wrestling. You can't do all three jobs effectively. You need to have either a promoter or you need to have a booker or you need to not wrestle. Um so it, it just doesn't work and that's that's going to be what holds up primos what makes wpw really good is is the two partners there one of them's focused on the business end one of them focused on the in ring end and then they both are focused on the promoting end and it's working for them you don't see them trying to get trained and become performers on the show they're focused on what they need to do to make their business succeed um and in the case of Danny he had outrageous amounts of talent he also had outrageous amounts of work ethic but it, it robs from each other not focusing on one or the other
2: that makes perfect sense
1: yeah now going back to the territories where guys would would book and run their own territory that was an all like Harley race did it in Kansas City and st. Louis Um you know, Fritz Von Erich and then the Von Eric boys did it in Dallas. Lawler and Jarrett did it in Memphis. The Gagne, you know, Greg Gagne was very hands-on in the office in the later stages of the AWA. It still didn't work because the best territory wrestlers were guys that could go from territory to territory to territory and get over, as opposed to being married to the territory they're in because they own it. Um, Lawler was great in Memphis, but one of the big, why you don't hear anyone say Lawler is in the same league as Flair or in the same league as Harley, or the same league as as um, Terry Funk, is because he didn't travel enough territories and get over in enough places. Yeah, right. Absolutely. He was really the he was the Memphis guy. Uh, Bachwinkle was really the Minneapolis guy. Although he did travel to Houston, so in order to be the king of the territory system, you couldn't just star in one territory. You had to be able to draw in two or three or four territories. Uh, Rick Flair's big claim to fame when he when he rips on guys like. Brett Hardy says, where, where did he ever draw other than WWE? He never drew in the territory, right? So, he, And Flair always lays claim to the fact that he was able to draw in so many territories. So, But that's, that's really, in in the case of the conversation I had with Mark Merrick, that's, that's really what he should focus on is being good at one of the jobs, either hire a promoter or hire a booker or hire a wrestler and replace yourself on the roster.
2: All right, there you go. A little advice for Mark Merrick of Primo's wrestling, not Deer Lodge Wrestling, friends.
1: Also Well, they run out of Deer Lodge. Hey, it's not a problem to be known as Deer Lodge Wrestling if it's gonna help people, you know, landmark where your shows are gonna be, right? I did want to talk about another wrestling company that's that's coming into Manitoba. Yeah. And I I'm looking forward to this. You know, it's Cloud Nine Wrestling. We had Shaggy Campbell on our show weeks back or was Tommy Lee Curtis same guy right yes you might not like that I'm saying same guy but we had him on the show he was an amazing guest and the one thing he talked about what, what they were doing in my Minot that was working is that they were drawing big crowds right they're drawing 300 people in the town in the town that only has like 30 or 40,000 people which I ended up doing the math and saying that's almost one of the town you're doing real good um so now they're coming up to Manitoba and they're going to actually, they've already done a show once in Manitoba in rest in Manitoba as part of the rest in fair. But now they're coming into Brandon, which is an underrun market. And on Saturday, February 25th in Brandon at the roadhouse, which is on 18th street, which is the main dragon, Brandon um, cloud nine is going to run an all ages show. And this is a tough market that they're going into. And I really, I like it because I think that they really have a plan on what they want to accomplish there. It's a it's a market that for WWE doesn't draw very well. I've heard about like houses for house shows at like 1,500 people in Brandon. So realistically, my argument is you should always be aiming to get 10% of what WWE can do. So if WWE does 1,500, you should be expecting 150. If WWE does 7,000, it would take your goal should be striving to get 700. Uh, of course, the math doesn't always work that way, as as the local promoters tell me. But what he's going to try to do is he's going to go into Brandon and he's going to try to build the market. And I I really wish him well. I hope he does everything right, like he's done in Minot, or they've done in Minot, because I know it's a collaborative effort in Minot. And I really hope that they get some legs under them and get some steam and things really start to pick up for them. Brandon's a tough market. Um, but you know what the thing is with Brandon wrestling fans? I think that if they. Once they start to get uh, familiar with what you're bringing them, and if you and if you have the feet on the ground doing the promoting, you should be able to build that town. I, I really hope so.
2: Well, Brandon's always been a notoriously difficult market to to book in, like this is not the first time somebody's tried to book to book into this place. How do you build the town of Brandon? Like how do you, how do you build a, a notoriously difficult market like that?
1: It all comes back to what we said when we talked about Regina, when when Dave Cote asked us about that in the Mary Browns mailbag. The thing about how you're going to go into this market, you've got to have a pretty solid business plan, right? And you got to say, okay, I'm going to run this town four or five times per year, and it's going to cost me X amount of dollars per per time I run it. And you got to have an investment in place for advertising. You may have to look at bringing in a big name to try to pop the town. I don't know if that's even going to be in this case, I don't know if that's what their vision is going to be. But you have to look at, okay, so if you've, if you've decided four or five events in a year, go to your calendar, write down the event, and even if you have trouble getting started on your first show, you don't draw quite as well, you come back and you stick to your plan all five events. you got to give the people a chance to understand, oh, I've heard about this. See, the, the thing is when people hear advertising or they see a poster or anything like it, in their mind, they think, "Oh, maybe I'll check that out." Right? When I see a movie trailer, I see it and I think, "Oh, that might that, that might not look too bad." Right? Doesn't mean I'm going to go to that movie. Or when when I see the advertisement for Zoo Lights at the Cinder Park, oh, you know what? I might check that out. And then I don't check it out this year, and it might not be till next year. Right? So you have to anticipate that the people that the people who see it may not it may not uh, register for them. Hey, I'm going to go that Saturday night. Right? So what you have to do is you have to plan to penetrate the market right from square one, go in there, tell people you're coming. Cloud nine is coming. It's going to be February 25th. It's an event. It's something your kids are going to love. It's something that if every wrestling fan is going to see something. They're going to appreciate that's how you establish what cloud nine intends to do. Okay. The second that that show is by intermission of that show, you're already announcing the return date. And here's what the return date is. So then right away you're flooding the market with cloud nine is returning to Brandon. Let's say April 10th. I don't even know if that's a Tuesday night or whatever. And now you start pushing that cloud nine is coming in April 10th. And that way the people branding just keep hearing, What is this cloud nine? What is this cloud nine wrestling? What is this? Right. You just keep promoting, promoting, promoting. Now realize I've said for a long time, when you go into a market the first time you say cloud nine wrestling, you say ABC wrestling, you say world championship wrestling it doesn't register to people because they only think of wrestling as WWE for the most part. So I wouldn't even say, Hey, cloud nine wrestling is coming. I would say live professional wrestling returns to Brandon. And thanks to cloud nine wrestling, make the brand secondary to what the event actually is. Right. Because the people hearing the advertisement are going to be like, well, what is cloud nine wrestling? But if they know live professional wrestling, okay, they understand what they're going to be seeing. But he's got, he's got some good talent books. He's got Mentolo on the show who is by far and away probably the most recognizable wrestler all across Manitoba at this point.
2: Oh, no question. No question about that. And, and quite possibly, you know, still one of the best in the country. So um, people- Oh, yeah. I, yeah Mentolo
1: is marquee talent on any show he puts his name to. M- Mentolo is a freelancer, though, right? It, one thing I've always said if I was building a roster is I'm going to be building with the guys that I know are going to be brandable by my company as opposed to freelance guys who are going to be working for me tonight and my competitor next three nights from now? How do I stand out from the competition if we're running with the same, with the same stars? Could you imagine if Kevin Costner was on Yellowstone and then also on Tulsa King? Yeah, yeah, exactly. People wouldn't watch both shows. People like if, if Kevin Costner was on three different shows in primetime, Nobody would think Kevin Costner was special, and he wouldn't have the effect he has on Yellowstone. Like wrestlers, always th- don't think like that. Could you imagine if NHL players were allowed to play on three teams, and it was just whoever got him the plane ticket to get to the road game first? <laughs> no, like it would never work like that. But wrestlers think promoters who want exclusive talent are are insane. But it's but it's realistic. You can't you can't be special if you're on every single show. If you're on every single show, okay, well, I don't have to go see that guy tonight. I can go see him next week for the for the competitor. Talent, when they get really good, need to be focused on go to the dance with one promoter. But, hey, I'm ranting because I'm probably still on medication from COVID.
2: Okay, well, be- before you, you, you know, this drug-induced hallucination, fades away I want to ask you being that you are a bit of a a historian in wrestling especially in Manitoba was there a time when Brandon was over as a as a market because I I don't remember it being over like I can remember WWE doing stops there when I was a kid but I never remember like a a real buzz around that city for wrestling
1: so I remember going to an AWA show in Brandon and it I don't think it drew that much when I look back at the archives and see the attendances in Brandon they were pretty lean like six seven hundred people um, Tony went into Brandon and he might've had a little bit of luck, but not a lot. Um, the thing is, I remember when I worked in Brandon in 2000 at CKX TV, Chi Chi Cruz was, you know, he had a reputation in that town cause he was from Hartley, which was nearby. And everyone knew that Chi Chi Cruz was a very talented wrestler. So when Chi was on a show in Brandon, it might've brought out a few more people. um, the guy who did the best in Brandon was actually. Uh, There's two two guys who did really well with Brandon. Uh, Bobby J with TRCW. Yeah, he took Jim the Anvil, Nightheart, Davy Boy Smith to Brandon, and he really when he went to Brandon, he focused on building it as his second market. And I think he he was consistently drawing two or two oh, two fifty for a show. Um, and then after that, in 2005, Ryan Wood with AWE, which I was the boss of. Ryan Wood was tasked on being the local promoter for a couple of towns, Brandon Morris. I think there might've been one or two others. Brandon was top for us, but we took out a mark. We took out a lineup that was, you know, our, our homegrown crew at the time. Kenny Omega was on the crew and Johnny Devine was, was homesteading in Winnipeg and we were able to get him on as a regular. So a really good lineup. I, I, I booked Kenny Omega versus Johnny Devine and Brandon. Um, and I remember that the, the houses were okay, 150, 175. But Woody put a lot of work in to try to draw. Um, in fact, Woody's probably listening to the show, so I want him to tell me what he remembers about promoting Brandon. Tough market, but if you if you have the feet on the ground and you can get the credibility with locals. One thing I've always found with Brandon, it's a tough town to, to get into and, and really um, amalgamate yourself with with the local you know, entertainment scene or the local nightclub scene or whatever is they stick to their own. They grew up together and they, and they, um, you know, they all have similar interests, either it's fishing, golfing, you know, snowmobile, snowmobiling or playing hockey together. So when you move to that town from outside of the town, it's very hard to get, you know, kind of ingratiate yourself and, and join a, so- a social circle.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, both of us having been in Brandon for a period of time uh, in our media days, I can I can attest to to the exact exact same thing that it can be a little little tough to get in. with well, locals really nice people, don't get me wrong. Super nice yeah. people, but you know, they just have their way about them and they have their friends and they have their group and you just kind of you have to work your way in. It's tough and and you I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. I think that's exactly the way the, you know, entertainment landscape is in this situation.
1: See, if, I, if 2023 Mike Davidson was going to run B. She's Wrestling and was going to move into Brandon as a town, I would hire myself a local promoter named Daryl Walski. He wouldn't come cheap, but when he puts his name to something in Brandon, everybody knows about it. Everyone gives it a level of credibility and people get behind it and that would be the guy in Brandon in order, in order of getting the people to know about it and, and interested in it. But I don't know if Daryl's at all interested, but that would be my first phone call. Hey, I'm coming into Brandon. I want you to be my guy. He, he knows all the business owners. He knows, you know, all the media people, he know he knows how to make an event in Brandon seem like something impressive.
2: Well, there you have it. We've, we've booked Brandon.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? I am pulling for cloud nine. Like if they're to be very honest, I really like um, Tommy Lee Curtis. I really like the brand Cloud9. I like what they've done in Minot from what I've seen from afar. I really hope they have success in Brandon.
2: Yeah, me too. It's, it's only going to be good to have uh, more quality wrestling in Manitoba.
1: Yeah, and you know what? We haven't even talked about the biggest story yet. And of course, I'm going to make you go to break first because I'm going to need to have a glass of water, but hard to believe the biggest story from 2022 and we thought it was over is going to carry on and be the biggest story in 2023
2: yeah i i can't believe it we'll talk about that when we're back this episode of the total bees she show is powered by first row.ca canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards autographs from your favorites action figures and of course wrestling collectibles galore as a loyal Total Bee Shees Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code Shees. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z-S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store.
1: Hey, this is Mr. Beefy Goodness Vance Nevada, the author of, of Uncontrolled Chaos, Canada's remarkable professional wrestling legacy. You may have heard me on episode 17, and you're listening to the Total Bees She's Show. Welcome back to the Total Bees She's Show. Isn't it amazing that the guy who was the single biggest story in 2022 has proven that he can be the single biggest story in 2023. It only seems fitting. Vince McMahon has decided he wants to break the wrestling news machine, and he has reimposed himself into the day-to-day operations of the world wrestling entertainment less than six months after he retired amidst controversy, probably facing some serious, some serious, ram. I don't know, Probably some serious backlash from stockholders and maybe even, you know, I think the wasn't the FCC looking into him at one time or whoever the people who look into investments. So what the Federal Trade Commission, I think that's FTC. Anyway, at the end of the day, Vince McMahon has decided he wants to be on the board of directors for WWE. And there's three people fired, him, George Berrios, and Michelle Lewis, is that her name? Yeah. Or Wilson. Wilson. It's Michelle Wilson have been put back on the board. You know what's interesting about that? He got rid of three people who were likely going to vote against his move to come back to the board. He brought in three people who he knew were going to vote for him to come back, and that left five people left. wasn't. Yeah, I think it's five people. So I guess he's counting on Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, and Nick Khan backing his play to be the executive chairman of the uh, WWE Board of Directors. A lot of people are suggesting this is going to be a power struggle. I actually don't think it is because in the case of H in the case of Stephanie in the case of Nick Kahn, they probably said, Hey, as long as, you know, our, our job isn't going to change, we're still going to be co-CEOs. And what is it? Chief creative Officer? Is that Triple H's position. Essentially. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they keep their jobs. Okay. Yeah. Vince, you can come back and you can be on the board of directors. Vince wants to be hands on in negotiating the media rights deal, which is a huge deal for stockholders. And he's hinting that he wants to maximize the value for shareholders. And that has led everyone to say that he's looking to sell WWE to a private entity. And everyone, of course, thinks Disney. Could be anybody, could be ESPN, it could be Fox, it could be uh, Peacock NBC Universal. Um, whoever it's going to be. He, it, it, it seems like he's finally making a public um, proclamation that he wants to sell the company. Stock went up 22% at one point on, on the last day of trading last week, Friday, because everyone's excited because if, you know, when, when there's talk of a company going to sell, every shareholder usually cashes in on, on that, whatever the value of the stock is of the day they sell you usually get more than the value of the stock in the sale, unless it's a most unless bail out bailout. What? Uh,
2: most definitely, and and yeah, like as somebody who has a couple couple shares of that company and who bought them yep. at fifty four dollars, it's it's been you know it's been a good good run right now.
1: Yeah, and and they have a dividend and everything. The thing I don't like about it is he retired in July because he was scared. These stories of him paying out millions of dollars for sexual impropriety were coming out left and right. Now he thinks he's bigger than that? What's going to happen when Fox time to renew the WWE contract and they're like, listen, Vince, we don't want to do business with you. We had a guy named Roger Ailes working for us and it was an absolute disaster when he he got outed for sexual impropriety. We had a guy named Bill O'Reilly who was one of the top rated people on Fox News. They fired him because he couldn't control himself basically. So Vince thinking that he's bigger than his problems could be at the beginning of a mistake, a big mistake for Vince and WWE. It's going to be interesting. I think it's amazing because if you remember when we had Mecca Shane on the show not that long ago, Mecca Shane said it ain't happening. Just like he said last summer, Vince isn't going anywhere. This just shows you the, how big these moves are. And a guy who's that's tuned into what Dave Meltzer said thinks it wouldn't, has been wrong, very wrong twice when it comes to Vince McMahon. It's a knee jerk reaction really is what it is.
2: Yeah. Uh, like it, it really, it caught me off guard because I know you've, you've kind of talked about it a little bit and probably before anybody else, you know, thinking that we'll see Vince back in in some way, shape or form. And I was definitely of the, of the same thing as, uh, as Macca Shane. I didn't think it would ever happen. Now, I, I question whether he actually wants to sell the company. Like that's what he said in his release more or less, but I don't think he wants to sell the company. I think he wants to negotiate the best TV rights he possibly can and make a ton of money. And I just, I can't see him actually selling the company. The only way I do see it is, as you mentioned, if it's Disney, because Disney <laughs> uh, Disney happens to own Fox, who, ha- who happens to have the rights to WWE right now.
1: Okay, so you you see Disney and you see Vince staying involved in some way. Here's the thing. Here's what I think. The Wall Street Journal called it. I initially heard reports that Vince was going to be involved in WrestleMania and be honored one last time, and you know, kind of go out, go out like he should go out. And then I start and then the Wall Street Journal broke the story that Vince was eyeing a return to day to day operations of WWE. I don't believe that this is the first step for or the only step for Vince. I think it's the first step for Vince. Yeah. I think he's he's putting himself back in there, proving he can he still has the power and the authority to do it. And then I think he's going to say, Okay, Stephanie and Nick uh, I'm going to be taking back over as the CEO because it's my baby and I want to, I'm going to decide the direction we go. And H you've done a good job with running raw and SmackDown, but uh, I prefer to be in charge of creative when it's, you know, my company. The reason why this is wrestling fans and wrestling media everywhere should look at themselves and kick themselves because you all bragged how great it got after Vince left. All you had to do is shut up and and think it was great. Stop making it that Vince was the problem because when you make Vince the problem, the only way he can he can fix that is to come back and do it his way. Except he's going to make the problem bigger doing that. But Vince is sitting at home and I doubt he goes on social media, but he, it was impossible for him to ignore that everyone was saying, oh, if the company is better with Vince not there. All that did is embolden him to say, oh yeah, well, I'm going to go back there. I'm going to run it even better. I don't think he can run it better. I think there's a lot of people... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still suffering from the COVID. I think there's a lot of people there who like William Regal, who was fired under Vince's watch, who then got brought back when Vince isn't going to have anything to do with the company. He was probably sitting there going, I could have stayed in AEW.
2: Well, yeah. Like that's what I was going to just going to bring up. What is a guy like William Regal thinking? Because, I don't, I've got no information on this, but it just doesn't seem like William Regal and Vince McMahon are like the same type of dude. And now... The bigger,
1: the bigger story is that I believe that there was a power struggle a year ago, two years ago. Remember, after H had his heart attack, Vince tried to erase H from the entire picture. Yeah. And then he fired Road Dog and he fired William Regal and fired all these people that, that were really Triple H guys. And, and proof positive of that is in the six months since H is control, he brought all those guys back. So if there was a power struggle, say, two years ago and a year ago, and H was trying to push Vince out the door and Vince was like, hey, it's my company. You're the son-in-law. Know your role. And then H had six months of power. Is Vince going to do things now that are going to jeopardize H's goodwill and and you know his standing with the fans? This is really dicey for WWE. The big winner in all this is All Elite Wrestling. All Elite Wrestling wins the day just by Vince coming back. Because now the fans who are like, oh, I'm going back to WWE because, you know what? H is better than Tony Khan. Well, now they're like, well, Tony Khan is still better than Vince McMahon. Just like the wrestlers. like Think of FTR, who was probably looking at going to WWE either right before WrestleMania or right after. They're now sitting there going, oh, no, Vince is back. I think I'm just going to stay where I am.
2: Yeah, and I I kind of thought they would stay put anyway, but I just I can't imagine what's going through Triple H's head, like what's going through his mind because he's he's had this chance, he's had he's had the the brass ring as Vince likes to say, and he did well with it. He you know people enjoyed what he was doing, the ratings are good, all that, and now he's like oh well. You know, Welcome
1: back to the world. Welcome back to the world of being micromanaged. Yeah, I think Vince McMahon micromanages Triple H more than I micromanage you, Chris. Yeah, and you're a um, pain in the ass. <laughs> there you go. The, the this interesting part of this whole thing is Triple H can't do anything about it. Like Vince McMahon can decide what he wants to do because he's the single large, like he owns the majority of stock. I had originally heard that he is he didn't have that kind of stock, but then again, you know, he's proven he's got the stroke. He's got the stock. Yep. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting now because Bruce Pritchard for the last three or four months has kind of been peripheral. Whereas right before this happened, he was kind of the head of creative and then triple H immediately took over his head of creative and Bruce just kind of went with the flow to keep his job. Does Bruce start overseeing what triple H does? And how will that work out? Not well, but, but you think about it, the talent, Like I guarantee you FTR was definitely looking at going to WWE. Why do you think they dropped the titles in three different companies in the span of a month? Because they're getting ready for one. They probably have either started to say, Hey, listen, we don't think we're going to, we're not, we're not going to renew our contracts. We're probably going to go look for better money from WWE. All of a sudden they lost the AAA belt, the IWGP tag belt and the, AEW belts at all in the span of a month, obviously they must have been giving indications that they were at least interested in going to WWE. And they'd be crazy not to give that indication. How are you going to get the best deal if you don't make it look like you want to negotiate with the other guy, right? So they, yeah. I, think w, I think WWE was going to get FTR. I think I don't think that'll happen now. Um, I think Sasha Banks is going to end up in all elite this Wednesday. I think Tony Connell wrecked that. He, he, every time he's ever gotten a big player, it's a short pop on, on. what let's get them on TV on Wednesday, let's get a big pop, and then I don't know what to do with them, and I'm going to fail. That's the way Tony Connell booked his entire company, right? Let's get them on TV as fast as possible. Get No, no, no figure. He has no idea how to make somebody a top star. So when Sasha Banks goes to All Elite, it's going to fail. In the meantime, WWE has So like stock the the shareholders are excited because they're seeing incredible value on their stock. But this is such a critical time for them to stay the course. They're going into Royal Rumble, great to mania, best time of year for WWE. But if Triple H doesn't if there's any micromanaging of Triple H's vision, it will be a disaster for the WWE WWE brand.
2: Yeah, like this is, it's, you said it's dicey and that's really a kind way to put it because it's, the whole thing is fraught with peril. Mm-hmm. And if you have stock, like I do, you'll be keeping an eye on it. Like I'm, it's not a set it and forget it with this one. I'll be definitely keeping a keen eye on it because if things start to go back to the way they were, I just, I just don't see them holding their value for 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 one. And I don't see the fans hanging on. I think the fans were really into, the vision of Hunter, and now if, if that vision becomes compromised or micromanaged, as he said, I, I I don't know. It's a whole new ball game. We're in uncharted territory. I don't even know what to say about it.
1: Well, the, the stock price will stay up now for the foreseeable future because, one, the media rights deal is going to be large. The renewals should be what they it, – it, every time they've ever done a, a media rights deal, value has gone up since 1990s. They've never had one where it went down in value. So the problem could be if more scandal comes out on Vince. Exactly. Like the story that I heard and the woman I think went to in, went to TNA as a ring announcer, but she before she got her first contract in a diva search contest, she was apparently forced to give Vince some sort of sexual favor in, ter- in return for the contract. Then when her renewal came up three or four years later, he expected the same favor and she said no, she went to TNA. And you know, apparently in 2018 or 19, she ended up getting like four million dollars from the company. I'm not sure of the figure. She got a multi million dollar settlement. Oh, I didn't soon. hear that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard that story. Huh. And then there's the referee, Rita Chatterton, who's now alleging that it was sexual assault and there's you know the assistant or the woman that he had in an executive position at WWE and then he had let her go and he paid her out and he said "well oh, I was only doing that for so for the sake of looking like I like my fidelity wasn't in question." Are you kidding me? You were worried that Linda McMahon was going to find out that you were sleeping with other women? Or were you worried about embarrassing Linda while she was in the Donald Trump White House?
2: That's what it was. Um, Like, Linda knew what was going on. There's no way she could not know what was going on. As a kid, like, not a kid, but like, even as a teenager, I was like, there's no way this guy is a family man, upstanding family man with some of the stuff that he was, he was involving himself with on TV. And yeah, like, there's, I don't know. It's not like Linda, Linda was in the dark. That's all. That's what I'm trying to say. She's not an idiot.
1: Well, you don't know that though. They, there's many marriages of convenience where the couple has other people on the side because they don't really like the person they're married to. Right? Well, there's nothing wrong that with happens, that. An open happens all the time in politics. So Donald Trump and what's his wife's name? Ivanka. Melania. No, Ivanka is the, the ex-wife. I think it's Melania Trump is the current wife. Um, but you can't tell me she doesn't have a guy on the side and Donald definitely Stormy Daniels was on the side at one point either way this has been a bad day for the wrestling industry to see Vince McMahon come back and just prove it doesn't matter what the fans think that's the first thing the fans have to understand when you support WWE or you support All Elite or you support any wrestling company if they think it's right for business they don't care how loud you cheer your local indie cares a lot more about what you what you think because your decision with your dollars or your decision with your social media post actually affects their bottom line. Whereas WWE, they're too big a machine; they don't care Vince Man doesn't care what wrestling fans hate him. He's the most hated man in sports or entertainment, and he doesn't care because he's played the heel on TV and he's loved it.
2: Well, yeah, he he revels in that role of being Mr. McMahon. Like I, I often wonder if there's any separation between Vince McMahon, the person, and Vince McMahon, the character anymore, because he he very much lives that gimmick. It seems.
1: Well, it's hard to say because I think over the years, <coughs> I think over the years Vince has changed a little bit because I always heard that he was approachable and that he was always selling there was a very long time where he was in competition with either Crockett or Turner or any other territory where he was always selling guys on the notion of coming to work for WW after at the time, like when he got the Legion of doom over from, from uh, I think it was Turner at the time. And when he brought the Steiners over and he brought over even Ric Flair, it was a courtship. It wasn't just, Hey, you know, I'm the only place in town. You've got to come work for me. It was, hey, this is what we're going to do. He did it with Dusty when he brought him over in 88. He, it was or 89. It was always, hey, you know, um, you, this is what you could the, you have the potential to make working for WWE. All you have to do is main event, the B-Show circuit, and you'll make this kind of money. If you do this kind of merchandising, he'd give you the comparable. Right now, so-and-so is doing this and merchandising. I see you being a bigger star. You should be able to make this plus that. So, but he, he doesn't have to be that charming individual anymore because he's the big, he's grown the company so, so big. And with that, that's where his ego grew to. It's going to be a disaster, like to do this to your daughter and your son-in-law who are getting a chance to really prove that they are the heirs to the throne. And then you just decide, no, still my throne, taking it back. Just a, it's going to come back to be a dark day for the industry.
2: Yeah, I I don't know where it's going to go, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere good. Unless he does indeed just sell, sell the whole kit and caboodle, you know. Yeah, but what
1: if he sell? What if he sells it and part of the deal is he's in charge for two years or three years?
2: That would be a terrible, terrible. It would be terrible for the industry.
1: Could be terrible for the industry unless maybe over six months being away he learns something. I doubt it. Thing is, is. He had, I think, Triple H had the ability to really make it tough for all elite wrestling to grow over the next year. Yes, I really do. I think that I think that Mania was is shaping up to be an just a really impressive show, and I see all elite like they're going to get Sasha Banks. They're going to fail with that because they don't have a plan for how to make Sasha Banks as big as. They need to build the entire women's division around her. And then make, that, make her as a woman star as big as their biggest male star in terms of TV time and how she's presented. That's what they needed to do with Sasha Banks. They'll fail there. They failed with Kenny Omega so miserably. He's been back now, I think it's seven matches on TV, the best of seven, whatever they're at. I think they're going into that seven. He's failed so badly with Kenny Omega that he's put him out on national TV, prime time, seven times in a six-man tag in a trio's, for the trio's self. What a disaster. Kenny Omega should be positioned as your top babyface, bar none. But they don't see it, and they, they miss it. And it's like, okay, so then when you then when you decide to go to Kenny Omega as your top babyface, because that's what people want to see, you put him out there so much that it, it his value, his impact as the top guy will not be the same. Because you've got to know when to strike when somebody's really get it percolates, And then it's there. He failed with Wardlow. He was percolating. All he had to do was give him the push and he failed. The one thing you only need to look at history of two characters to know that when it's there, you got to go with it. Steve Austin, Goldberg, exactly the same era within a year of each other. It worked for both guys because to Booker knew, hey, this guy's getting White Hawk. We got to push him. They did it with Austin first and refined that with Goldberg. Well, yeah, so. I
2: mean, uh, Tony Khan is just incapable of booking talent, though. Like, it's not even that. Hey, well, maybe he's got like talent. It's not so great. He's got awesome talent. He's he had Brian Danielson, who was hot, hot, hot when he came in, and he's he's been wasted. He's wasted wordload, like you said. Samoa Joe is a star. He's been wasted on a television he, title yes. for a company that doesn't even have television.
1: Yeah. Yet somehow. He gets stuck on John Moxley and Hangman Page like he thinks they're the best in the company, and neither one of them is a guy you can build the brand around. So it, it 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 is what it is. It it's a dark day for the business because right now the wrestling industry is as hot as it's been in five or ten years, and or probably fifteen years even, maybe twenty years. And I just I'm losing I'm this move this week just leaves me a little less confident of what the next two years looks like
2: it, it does and it's and as you said i think it's just going to set up uh all, all elite wrestling to have a bit have a bit more of a run bit longer of a run as you know maybe number one or a close number two than then they should have really they they're getting a gift
1: yeah absolutely
2: all right let's move on mike it is time now for the mary brown's mailbag mary brown's chicken crave delicious
1: has
0: 14 manitoba locations mary brown's chicken who only uses manitoba chicken mary brown's chicken and who only uses manitoba grown potatoes hand cut in store i bet you've already guessed even mary brown's coleslaw is made fresh in store from
1: whole carrots and cabbage download mary brown's app today and take advantage of money saving deals and even a secret menu you can order ahead to get your mary brown's faster mary brown's
0: chicken crave delicious
2: hot fresh and delicious Mary Brown's chicken. Love it. All right. It's time for the Mary Brown's mailbag, Mike. And people can ask their questions using the hashtag, hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag. All right. All right. You can also send them into our Gmail, totalbeeshees at gmail.com, on Facebook and on Instagram at Total And we are on the Twitter machine as well at Total This one coming in from Josh. Given that AEW w- failed... In finding ROH a television home, how would you proceed with ROH given the landscape that they find themselves in? Gee whiz,
1: Josh, you're making it sound like that's the only thing AEW failed on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing: talk about a miserable failure. They. Put it out there like they're negotiating a TV deal and everyone gets excited. You got excited. It was your prediction for the new year. Oh, I think ROH is going to land mainstream TV. And they launched and they landed their own streaming service, not even an outside streaming service epic fail on the part of Tony Khan. This buyout of Ring of Honor is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. He didn't need to do it. The brand wasn't worth as much as he thought it was. He apparently paid $30 million for it. If that's the case, Sinclair Broadcasting is the happiest entity in the world. Um, But then you have it, and you're integrating the Ring of Honor brand into your TV show where you only have two hours. It's hurting your brand and your brandable stars by pushing guys like Samoa Joe for like, and like lethal for the ROH TV title as opposed to focusing on what you should be focusing on, which is All Elite, the brand you're trying to build, Epic Failure. So what he's going to do is he's going to take guys that he considers to be second tier, like Cesaro, who's not second tier. Cesaro should be a top guy on his current roster, but he doesn't know how to book. And he's still going to mess it up. He should keep them as two separate entities, two separate brands, and don't cross them over except for maybe once a year when it's going to be a holy moment, an epic moment. But he'll do it. He every pay per view. Oh, we got to get Ring of Honor on the pay per view, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the ability to do the crossover properly when it's hot and it's ready. Anyway, what Tony Khan needs to do is he needs to get a vision for what he wants to accomplish with Ring of Honor. He bought it because he was a mark for the brand when he was a supermarket wrestling fan and not when he was the second most important wrestling entrepreneur on the planet. Figure out what you want to do with it. Focus on that. Get a TV product streaming that is good enough that you can be feeding it to TV stations. He is no better with the ROH brand than Billy Corgan is with NWA. Something that if you don't have TV, you really have limited paths to grow. Yeah, I, I just, he should do what David. Asper, well, he should do what David Asper did with Anthem. Buy a TV network that you can put Ring of Honor on that can reach the masses. He has the money for it. Buy a TV network that's got a, you know seventy five million homes and make Ring of Honor wrestling the big the big component of that of that broadcast schedule.
2: Do you think there is any value to to going back to ROH to the ROH? Well, like the way they had their product, which was they were on networks, so they were on different channels of all across the country. On on Fox owned networks, is there is there a road for that? No, they there- were on
1: syndicate. They were on Sinclair networks, Saturday nights at eight o'clock. And Sinclair had a lot of stations, that, like local stations. It it actually made sense what Sinclair tried to do with with their ROH brand. No, it's smart, but it only. It wasn't that smart. It grew as much as it could grow. Ring of Honor has always been a fringe brand. I competed with Ring of Honor in 2010, and there was a point in time in 2010 where we were the third brand, and they were the, the staggering fourth brand. They weren't paying their talent anything. They they were producing or they were creating stars, but they couldn't they couldn't lure stars. Haas and Benjamin, who we had Charlie Haas at the time. Hoster and Benjamin went there and kind of gave them some credibility. Cornette was the booker. If Cornette didn't buy O'Kerry Silken at that time, we were killing Silken. Like it sounds crazy, but we were growing faster than ROH was. ROH was, that, that's with WFX. ROH has never been the brand people think it is. It was, it was the third and then second brand when, when Impact almost imploded. It became the second brand briefly. It was the third brand to a dysfunctional TNA brand. Like People who think, oh, that Ring of Honor brand. Sure. Okay, so what they were really good at as a Northeast independent was they were getting all the talent like Joe, like CM Punk, like Austin Aries, but before they had made it. They they were the indie company that knew who the guys were that had a really good shot of making it, and they pushed them. Sapolsky was a decent booker, well, good booker. Adam Pierce was a good booker. Delirious was a good booker, but that was for seeing talent that's about to get signed. That didn't make them, that made them a high, high end indie. That's the best they ever were. They were never going to make it as a national brand. They didn't have national stars. They didn't have people, people didn't tune in and go, Oh, isn't that Roderick Strong? Oh, that Roderick Strong, I saw him on Royal Rumble once. They never ever thought that when they watched Ring of Honor. They'd watch and go, Oh, who are these guys? Oh, the match is pretty competitive. I've never seen these guys. And it's flip and it's flip. Whereas at the time when we had WFX, people are flipping. Oh, isn't that hardcore Bob Holly? Oh, isn't what is Bushwhacker Luke doing on my TV? And out of curiosity, they parked there and they'd say, "Oh, this wrestling has got people I've actually recognized or people I've actually heard of." Right? That's why Ring of Honor only got the hardcore of hardcore fans. That's who followed Ring of Honor, and that was all they had. They had no hope of being bigger than that. They were that. When we talk about top tier and then we talk about second tier, Ring of Honor was the the epitome of second tier. They were never worth $30 million. No. Maybe to to Sinclair Broadcasting, who was going to get an hour of TV every week on Saturday night, which was actually a good time slot. On a flip side, what I would say, if I was a company like NWA or Impact or or, um, Ring of Honor right now, and I was looking for the right time slot, I wouldn't want Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, what they call prime time, or Friday, what they call prime time. I'd want to go Saturday nights at 6 o'clock. I'd want to go at a time where wrestling fans are sitting at home, there's not a lot of viewing competition Saturday nights at 6, and it's the type of thing where it breaks up my weekend to turn on wrestling for an hour. When I was a kid, I watched AWA Saturday nights at six people in the Crockett territory or or who had TBS in the States watched Superstation to watch uh, a world championship wrestling at six six Oh five after AWA was off. We had Maple Leaf wrestling, WWF Maple Leaf wrestling replaced AWA wrestling for a time. Our channel pulled away from WWF Maple Leaf wrestling. We still got it, but at a different time slot, we then got, stampede wrestling saturday nights at six o'clock saturday nights at six o'clock this is when hockey night in canada started at seven o'clock our time but saturday nights at six o'clock was what you watched and then you flipped it over to hockey night in canada so if you can get the right time slot on saturday it there's no competition and you can create a appointment viewing oh what are you doing what are you doing saturday well after wrestling i'll go out You you can watch wrestling and then go out at seven o'clock at night. Nobody goes out on Saturday at five o'clock. They go out at eight o'clock.
2: Yeah.
1: Put wrestling on before that and create wrestling that doesn't just cater to men. Do you know when the eighties wrestling was just as popular with women as it was with men? Yeah. Yeah. But because you have these, these guys who are super fans writing wrestling, they're not even trying to cater to women. They're sitting there going, it's ridiculous. I sound very negative right now. Got to do something to cater to women. Remember what the first thing I said when we went to Winnipeg Pro Wrestling was? I looked around and said, oh, there's a lot of women here. You did,
2: you did, absolutely.
1: Yeah, they're doing something right. There you go. Okay. What's
2: the next question? Let's move on. This one's from Darren Armstrong coming in to TotalBeesShees at com. Hey guys, with Kenny Omega having so much power and influence in all elite wrestling... Why do you think he didn't help out his old tag team partners and friends, such as Mentelo and Danny Duggan, with a job or even a dark match or two?
1: And it, oh my! Yeah. All right. Is that the question. That's the question from Darren in Winnipeg. Okay. I have a question for off. Darren. Is he? I have a question for Darren. Is he any related relation to the Bullet Bob Armstrong? Um, okay. So, I'm only going to have an opinion on this because I don't. I clearly don't know what what makes Kenny Omega tick. Kenny Omega and I have a rich history. It goes back all the way to 2001 when I became the booker of TRCW. And Kenny Omega was a kid on the roster that I knew was really talented. And by 2002, he not only was a great high-flying junior heavyweight, but I remember he was wearing this Hawaiian shirt or like a beach shirt yes. over top of blue pants. And I remember it was me and Wallace looking at him in the locker room and i like, God, he's looking pretty... He's looking pretty he had one of the best looking physiques on the bo- on the roster. So we were like, Kenny, why are you wearing that shirt over the top of your physique? He's like, Oh, it's my gimmick or something like that. And we were like, No, you gotta take that off, man. You're looking like a million dollars. So Kenny got caught in a in a tug of war between Andrew and I. See, to be the best promoter of the market in Winnipeg at that time, and even now, right now, I can tell you, between the three companies trying to run Winnipeg. They all want to have a certain claim to being the number one. So there's a little bit of politics at play now. But back then, to be number one, you had to play. You had to be willing to play the political game. You had to say you were number one. Then you had to set out to be number one. And sometimes you had to do things to try to derail number two or number one if you were number two trying to catch them. So Kenny Omega got caught in an emotional tug of war between Andrew Shelcroft. And I. I had left PCW in 2003 and. Uh, Shell Cross immediately said, and, uh, Kenny Omega is going to be the top guy as if I had never said before I left that Kenny Omega was going to ascend to be the top guy. I left in August, 2003. I had already gone to Omega and said, Hey, November, I knew the date he was going to win the title. I said, I think it's November 10th. It was a Thursday night. It was going to be November 10th. The night before we Day. we're going to do, we're going to make the show a little bigger and I'm going to have you pin Cheech and become the PCW heavyweight champion. Because you're going to carry the you're going to carry the ball all through 2004. You're going to be the top guy. We're going to build the company around you. Now, I leave in August. Shellcross came to me and said, "We got to go to Kenny Omega right now." And I said, "Andrew, shotgunning a title change in the middle of summer is going to do sweet f all for what the title change should mean. Have Omega, we got to carry Cruz on top until the right time. Have Omega win it in the magic moment. Guess what happens? I leave in August 2003." for my own reasons, I've never gone into. And Kenny Omega is the champion within two weeks of me leaving. And it didn't mean as much as it should have meant when he became a top guy. But Omega always thought as, I would assume, I don't know, I never had this conversation with Omega. I think he always thought as, well, Andrew wanted me to be a top guy worse than Mike. Well, bullshit. I wanted you to be the top guy for the right reason, with the right buildup, with the right point where you win the belt. That's what booking is. Knowing how to, Go through a hard time knowing what your next move is and and turning the pages until you're ready for their next move. Anyway, so that's why Kenny Omega and I maybe don't see eye to eye. Although in 2003, he did, you know, basically say, hey, I want to work for you. In 2005, he left Andrew to come work for me. I didn't solicit him. All of a sudden, I got a call saying Omega wants to come over. I was like, we'll have him in a heartbeat because I knew how talented Kenny Omega was. So I'm giving you... When I answer this question, sorry for the long prelude, I'm giving you what now dates back 21 years, 22 years of of intel on how Kenny Omega thinks. I would guess he thinks a lot differently today. Back when I knew Kenny Omega, he seemed inseparable with Mentalo. It was like a, a teacher student type relationship, you know? And they seem to be in sync and in some ways inseparable. I don't know when that ever changed, but I do know I have reason to believe at some point they stopped being that close. I don't know what it is. Omega learned a lot from Mentolo, and I feel he, you know, if there's ever been a time in the wrestling business where somebody might be owed something, maybe Mentolo was owed something from Omega, but maybe that's not fair to say. Maybe maybe Mentolo is just too proud to accept anything from somebody he, he taught a lot to. Either way, I believe Omega doesn't do enough for the guys in Winnipeg that's that helped him. But at the same time, for years he came back to PCW after he'd become a big star in new Japan and came back and helped them pop houses. And he, but I don't think the matches he had in Winnipeg were anything like the big money matches he was having internationally. And of course not. He wasn't asking for as much money. Why would he work this hard? Right. I think in the, I know for, I know for a fact, Omega and, um, Omega and Danny Duggan aren't tight enough that he would feel he owed Danny something. There might be a case that he maybe should do something for Mental. I just don't think he's going to do it. It's a question to ask Kenny Omega on Twitter, not me speculating and trying to think for Omega. I just don't think Omega one thing I'll tell you, since they've announced the date of all Elite coming to Winnipeg, I've seen Jericho pushing it heavy that they're coming to Winnipeg. And I think I've seen callous pushing it a little bit that they're coming to Winnipeg. Yeah. I don't think I've seen Omega push it once that they're coming to Winnipeg. Maybe Omega wants to wait till two weeks out or three weeks out and, and try to push them over the top, but they've sold over 6,000 tickets. Uh, they're close to what they're, to what they wanted to sell, which is 7,900. He, by the time he starts pushing the show, they might already be sold out. He will, whatever he does will make a difference. But if, if the show comes up on March 14th and Omega doesn't do anything to push the show, and it's no big deal that he's wrestling in Winnipeg, at the best venue in town, Canada Life Center, that'll tell you what Kenny Omega thinks of Winnipeg and and where Kenny Omega's head's at. That. Well,
2: th- that's a that's an interesting avenue to go down, and, and makes me wonder: Do you think there's some sort of I don't know want to say animosity, but perhaps Kenny Omega doesn't have a lot of love for Winnipeg.
1: Well, I I do know that at one point, let me think back. I can't remember what year it was, but I remember somebody, I I heard a story and I don't know, I can't place it, so take this with a grain of salt. But I remember hearing that somebody had wanted to do an interview with Kenny Omega from local media and he kind of said, you want to interview me now that I've made something of myself? But when I was struggling and we needed media coverage, when. Thursday nights for you know at the every week or whatever you didn't want to cover me then why would I do an interview with you now wrong wrong perception to have that's called that's what they call big leaguing when you when you pull that when you've made it because the people you step on going going up are the people you want to catch you as you fall yeah so you don't want to step on people going up. So if there's any truth to him ever saying that, that would tell you that there's something there in terms of resentment. I know he doesn't like me. Then that's his prerogative. I don't know that he would ever say I did anything wrong to him. Maybe I know something I've done wrong to him once. But whatever, you know, whatever his opinion is, it's his opinion. We have worked together after the thing I did that I thought he might have thought he was wronged about. We worked together in post seven or seven. I put him in there with Ultimo Dragon. Which was a great match, right? The right thing to do for business, whatever it is. If he's got a, if he's got any kind of beef with Mentolo or anybody, it's it's probably so. asinine and backwards, it doesn't make any sense. But like, he hasn't pushed the date to Winnipeg so far. That doesn't make any sense to me either. So, but Kenny's in his own world, right? He's also a guy who could say to Tony Khan, "Hey, get me out of this trios thing." But I, him and his buddies love fooling around in these six-mans. Oh, great. It does nothing for the brand. It actually hurts the Kenny Omega brand. But he's sitting there fiddling around in six-man tags. Like, come on. You Your money matches are in you as a top babyface going after MJF or wrestling singles matches with Brian Danielson, for crying out loud. Why you're fiddling around in a seven-match seven series for a trios title? Like, come on. Why don't you just start working mixed tags? You and Sasha Banks against, you know, Johnny Nitro and, and Taya Valkyrie. Like, that's going to do as much for the Kenny Omega brand as being buried in that trios with the Young Bucks. Sometimes Kenny Omega needs to have a head for the business. You're a vice president for the second largest wrestling company in the world, for crying out loud. Do what's right for business, for once.
2: Yeah, and I'm not I'm, I'm not quite like as sour on the trios as you, but i I definitely be, I definitely agree that oh, it's a not, rating of score, isn't it, Chris? I never said that before. He put words in my mouth. I just think it's a good underneath thing. Like it's a good underneath so title.
1: Top, so take your most talented singles worker and bury him in that underneath. No,
2: no, that's what I was getting to. It's not the right place for Kenny Omega. That's why I said underneath is Kenny Omega underneath.
1: The only the only reason it makes any for Omega to be in there is if he is really, really injured and it's the only way to get him on TV. That's what they did with Japanese wrestlers or Mexican wrestlers when they were way, way, way past their prime and and they still had name value, like Mil Moscaris or, you know, in Japan they Andre the Giant was showing up in six man's a month and a half before he died. Yeah. That's what you that's where that spot is. So you're telling me that's how bad Kenny Omega's banged up? If that's the case, you've got bigger problems than you than ever because he's one of your highest-paid people, you need him in singles programs leading to money matches. There's not a single trios match. That sounds like an oxymoron. But there isn't any particular trios match where Kenny Omega being in is going to draw money. But there's about five different singles matches where he would draw a whole lot of money. So you got to get him back into those singles matches today. Don't waste seven weeks of being buried in trios, because now all the fans are saying, oh, I've seen Kenny Omega for seven weeks straight. It stops being impactful for him to be in that singles program where he can draw you money. That's why they don't have a million viewers, because they book like they don't give two shits. It's, it's embarrassing, but I can tell you right now, the Bucks and Omega said to Tony, hey, we want to do this trios thing, and he was like, well, you guys get to pick your own shots because you're EVPs, and yeah, of course. And because CM Punk's not healthy yet for that big angle that we're going to have in the spring, (laughs) where Omega's going to work the singles program with CM Punk, yeah, okay, when he's healthy, we're going into that thing where we're going to work all the people and make them think that it was a shoot. Yeah, okay. Thanks.
2: All right, with that, we're going to close up the Mary Brown's mailbag for another week. You can send your questions in to
1: Twitter. Yeah, okay, you finish your little wrap there for how they can send their questions in.
2: Into uh, Twitter cool. using hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag, using TotalBees, she's at gmail.com and at totalbshees on Instagram and Facebook.
1: Now, if I sounded bitter this week, I must apologize. 37 weeks into this thing, I've never done a single episode while I was recovering from life threatening COVID 19. And I don't know if it was life threatening, but I think if I had any precondition, pre, uh, what do they call it? pre-diagnosed condition condition or whatever, Yeah. pre-existing condition, I suspect I would have been on a ventilator and maybe died. That's how bad these symptoms hit me. So I'm still recovering. So if I seem bitter today, because it was actually a lot of work to do this show. I'm just now getting back on my feet. I'm COVID free, but I still have no voice. I still cough like crazy, shortness of breath. It's not fun. I think I've got what they call long COVID. So please bear with me. I'm sorry I picked on Kenny Omega. It wasn't that I'm picking on Kenny Omega. I think Kenny Omega should be the top guy in the business. Get rid of Don Callis, get out yeah. of the trios, and start working money matches. That's all i got to say about that for I, the second I thought, you,
2: I thought you were getting ramped up again, but Mike Davidson, you heard it here first. COVID-3 since
1: 2023. <laughs> Thank you, Chris.
0: Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R A S S L I N, that's wrestling. R A S S L I N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the rumper bumper butt butt delivered by the Iceman. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most. Is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Von Eric can? Well, the boss called again. Said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight. And I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R A S S L I N. That's wrestling. R A S S L I N. That's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called and friends She could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I, and that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I, and that's wrestling. Kevin Von Eric, when he's really high and flying. I'd like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there struttin'. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover, and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late, I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R A S S L I N, and that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, wrestling, R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling, R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advance tickets. That's By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is, Is Fritz coming up here anytime wrestling. soon?